And welcome in, finally back. Chiefs, by the way, when they play the Buffalo Bills, 50% of their games are on Monday Night Football. This is the Trez Paler Show. Trez Paler, one of the finest broadcasters in the country from Yahoo Sports. Trez, good evening, finally. Dink, how's it going, man? It's been a while. It's been a minute. Next week, I will tell people we'll be on Tuesday night, so we'll follow uh, the Monday Night Football, and we'll be on Tuesday night that night following... Um, uh, Michigan and Mitch Holtis that you just heard on Chiefs Kingdom. Uh, always a fun show to watch as I always enjoy the Mitch Holtis calls uh, after each and every game. And Therese, uh, rough game for the Chiefs. Uh, Derek Carr was winless at Arrowhead Stadium. They had not won since 2012 here in Kansas City. But it was warm weather. We've seen cold weather, Derek Carr. It was warm weather. And John Gruden's game plan Thought it was interesting, but he gets the W over the Chiefs. But I will say this. Mahomes has finally never been ever beat by more than one score. It was seven points. Now it's eight. But you know what? In the NFL, you can still score eight points. So that still exists. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, you know, this was a fascinating game on multiple levels, Bank. I thought, um, you know, just just on, on the basis of, like, you knew that grew John Gruden had some stuff for his good friend Andy Reid. And... I think more than anything, I'm going to remember this as the game where, you know, Gruden said, hey, you know how you've been torturing me with my guy, with Tyreek Hill for the last three mm-hmm. years? Here you go. Hey, here's my guy. My guy can run fast, too. So we brought out Henry Ruggs. And, uh, you know, I think, honestly, the difference in this game, just to me, was the ability of the Raiders to stretch the ball vertically downfield. That really opened up their offense and allowed them to do what they really want to do, which is pound the rock and play physical, which is something you need to do against this team so you can control um, the the clock, control the time of possession, which they especially did in the second half. And that allowed them to win. I think for that, you know, the Raiders deserve a lot of credit. They did play well. No, they really did. And we'll get into kind of what the Raiders are doing because I think it's interesting. Like, what are teams doing against the Kansas City Chiefs in the draft? How are they preparing for that game? But we saw some different stuff here Uh, Therese, and I'm curious your opinion on this, the old blueprint, if it exists or not, to beat the Chiefs. We've seen teams play this team in different styles. Obviously, we saw the Texans play different than the Chargers. Chargers relied on on Melvin Ingram and Bose and Tillery getting to the quarterback. Ravens played Mm -hmm. it differently, and the Patriots played it differently with six defensive backs and dropping seven. I felt like the Raiders played more like the Chargers style uh, instead of the Patriots style to stop Mahomes. Yeah, I think the thing that you're noticing too here is that like one key tenet that, of that though is listen, you're gonna rush four and you're gonna drop seven. And like even like the Chargers kind of did that. Like it's in general, you wanna be able to generate pressure with your front. Now there were a couple of times that the Raiders did blitz, but a lot of times, like there were some times the Chiefs beat them on the blitz. And we are seeing that. Generally, when teams try to blitz Kansas City you know, with five guys, like six, not enough in coverage because Mahomes almost always finds them where he runs away and just gains yards like it really hurts you. Um, and I saw that a couple of times in this game. You know, I, I have reviewed the game. So a couple of times, man, like when they chose to blitz, like they hurt them. They did. But, you know, they were able to really drop men in coverage. And I was impressed a little bit by the Raiders front four. You know, I think those young defensive ends are starting to come on a little bit. Like Max Crosby, we know he's a good player. But the guy that they needed to, like, get there is Cleveland Farrell. And Farrell had a nice game. I thought he won with some power rushes. I thought that was important for him. I thought that he played hard. 
Um, he gave great effort, and that's a consistent thing for him. And I thought him and Crosby did. Um, and I think, you know, for the Raiders to consistently be able to compete with Kansas City, they're going to need those two to really continue to grow as football players and get a little more out of the interior of their line. And if they can develop a defensive line that can continue to get pressure with just four, that gives them a real chance because I actually like their secondary bank. I don't know about you, but, you know, I thought I think Abram is an unbelievable irritant defensively. I think I mean, this guy is a Rodney Harrison level irritant and he's going to be that in his prime. Um, I think he's really, he plays really hard. He's a good football player and they've got these long young corners that can really run. Um, so I, I really kind of like what the Raiders are building defensively. I think they need to add more talent, obviously, um, second level, like the linebackers, like they can add more juice there, but you know, they, we saw the manifestation of what they believe the goal is to compete with Kansas city, which is be able to win on the deep ball. And then defensively you can rush for play some coverage and then kind of, have the guys who can run with Mahomes a little bit and at least try to harass him. So, you know, that's a long rant there, but it was just a fascinating game, Bing, from a lot of levels. Yeah, I like what they're doing. And Max Crosby, a good game. But Cleveland Farrell, you bring him up. Here was the guy people were wondering about because he hadn't got any sacks. And let's face it, according to Pro Football Focus, the most pressures he's ever had on a quarterback in one game is three. He's credited for nine pressures against Mahomes. That that number in itself right there, Therese, is three times higher than he's ever had. That's unbelievable. And Abram, yeah, back at Mississippi State when he was with Willie Gay, there was no harder thumper in the SEC than, than Jonathan Abram. He wears those big shoulder pads. You know what he wants to hit. Oh, and listen, that guy plays so hard. You know, like I review every game every week, right? And I, so I watch a lot of tape. And like I enjoy watching the Raiders play because I know – um, you know, number 24 in white or black is going to be getting after it. And he plays hard through the whistle. Sometimes after it, he talks a lot. He packs a punch. Um, he's a good football player, man. And I think this game told me that I think the Raiders are on the right track toward at least being able to compete with Mahomes, you know, at least be able to, to kind of build something where this is going to be competitive every year. Now, let me be very clear. I don't think they're ever going to really, really, really challenge to beat Kansas City when it matters unless they consistently get more of the quarterback position. So Carr has to keep playing like that, and it's going to be harder next time because now that he's proven that he can win on the deep ball, the Chiefs will do some things to take that away when they really need to. Um, so either he's got to take his like play like that all the time or they need a younger, more dynamic quarterback at some point. Um, and until they really get that, or until he proves he can keep doing it week after week or when it matters, I'm not going to really believe the Oakland, I'm sorry, Vegas can really <laughs> beat the Chiefs when it matters. But, you know, can they beat them when the Chiefs don't play well? Yeah. And I think even though the Chiefs played well in the first half, I thought the second half, a lot of things really converged for Vegas to win that game. Though they did play well, you give them credit. You know, it was a wake-up call for Kansas City, and that was really good teaching tape for them. Yeah, they came back double digits. Not something you're accustomed to with the Raiders, but I had to hats off to them. All right, two things here, Therese, and I want to know which one surprises you more. Raiders come into this game giving up 30 points a game. Raiders come into that game with four sacks, second fewest in the National Football League. They were giving up 138 yards on the ground. Their pass mm -hmm. defense, bottom third of the NFL as well. So, all right, that's the defense. On the offensive side, you've got Derek Carr, and you have to go back to the Texans game in the first round of the playoffs last year for a play that big, 54 yards to Kenny Stills, 
from Deshaun Watson, but the big plays haven't been there. It's been bend, bend, don't break. Raiders five plays, 40 yards or more, but as far as touchdown scores going deep, the Raiders did something other teams haven't done this year against the Chiefs. What surprised you more? Yeah, and I think it really showed how valuable Ruggs is for them. You know, he's a guy that he's been nicked, he's been like nicked up this year, but when he's played, he has provided a very important virtual uh, field stretching element for them. Um, because when he can take the top off the defense and then when Aguilar can do it too, here's what you know when you face the, the Raiders. Like they want to operate within the first team, the first 15 yards of a line of scrimmage. You know, they got a big offensive line. They, they want to punish you. Like they want to run the ball and then they want to be able to run their little angle routes for Waller, their little crossers or sticks for Renfro, right? They want to do that stuff. They want to control the football game with Josh Jacobs and these short passes. And you can sit on that if you don't respect the deep ball, but that's been the key for them is having Ruggs. Ruggs gives them the guy who's like almost always the fastest player on the field. And when he's on the field, you do have to account for that. When he's on the field, there's no more just, eh, we, we don't have to worry about the deep ball with Vegas. Um, when, when he's out there, you've got to account for it. And that really, that devotes eyes away from the underneath stuff that you know they want to do. So the key for them will be keeping him healthy and continuing to help him develop his route tree and continuing to develop that chemistry with him and Carr. Because honestly, of all the players on that team, you can make an argument that Ruggs is the most important for what they want to do because he gives them the one thing no one else can replicate, which is that deep ball threat that can't that must be um, accounted for at all times. Yeah, people were kind of downplaying it because he'd been hurt a couple of games. Only had four catches. Said, "Be careful, this guy was four two seven at the combine." And yep. I said, "To be honest with you, he might be the second fastest guy in the NFL behind the cheetah." Torres, one thing I like about you is you'll watch a lot of college football and you look at the draft and you look at these players. You and I have had conversation with these Alabama wide receivers. Jerry Judy was the guy last year. That was the guy. And then Henry Ruggs put on a show, drafted twelfth in the NFL compared to fifteenth of Jerry Judy and of course Devontae Smith Jalen Waddle that are still there but Henry Ruggs is that game changer is this a draft pick to match the Chiefs speed oh yeah absolutely man yeah I I think again I, I think Gruden was like I can't I can't have this man like he just he just got tired of watching Tyreek Hill blaze past his guys and I you know I think one guy that's gonna help them that they didn't have that's gonna really help them down the road is Brian Edwards I heard great things out of Vegas about that guy, the um, you know the mid round receiver they got. He's a strong route runner, tough as nails. Um, South short Carolina, immediate threat. And when you talk about adding this guy to Renfro, who's already a really good slot receiver, he's good, you know. And then Rugs, those are three pieces that fit at receiver. And now you've got Waller, who's a really good tight end. He blocks. He can run after the catch. He's not a great matchup for anybody. And Josh Jacobs who's like, you know, who who's a very versatile running back who can do a lot of things. And then you got this big physical offensive line. Like the Raiders the Raiders offense is fun to watch. I've watched all their games big. Like these guys, you know, when they have their full complement of players, it's a good group, man. It is. And I think it's important to remember that they've been beat up the last few weeks, which is why they've lost some games. But this this game was a signal for what the Raiders can be. But again, I also would just hesitate to just, you know, start worrying too much if I'm a Chiefs fan. You know, I think Derek Carr still has a lot to prove. Yeah, Brian Edwards was so good. He's the all-time leading receiver at South Carolina, and he passed Alshon Jeffrey 
for career receptions. And don't forget, Lynn Bowden was there, and I don't know how that didn't work out. The leading rusher in the SEC, one ahead of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, was traded to the Dolphins. Not sure how that didn't work out. We come back, Trez. Let's dive more into the Chiefs. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, can we expect some more production of him? And I want to talk about the Chiefs' offensive line with you. All that next on the Trez Paler Show. You're listening to the Therese Paler Show, Monday nights at 7, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back to the Therese Paler Show. I'm Jay Binkley with Therese Paler. As you heard the uh, announcement there, Therese is on 3.30 every Tuesday with The Drive. He's also the senior NFL reporter for Yahoo Sports. He's got a great podcast there as well. And, of course, you guys remember Therese as the beat writer for the Kansas City Chiefs. I remember Therese back in the press boxes of high school football. That's how long I've been uh, dealing with this cat. Yeah, good times too, man. I remember uh, some some of, the, some of the greatest games I've seen have come in some of those press boxes, man. We were laughing and joking about them. It's good times, so it's so cool to be with you here tonight too. I appreciate that, Therese, but yeah, definitely at, at Therese Paler on Twitter. Uh, I know some say, one of the best writers in the NFL. For my money, he is the best. And I mentioned he watches college football. Juice team is unbelievable and one of my favorite things. But uh, this running game for the Chiefs, Therese, I've had people ask me quite a bit about Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Wanted to get your thought. I love the way this guy played in college. And there was, there was talk mm-hmm. about pass protection because they do five in pass protection for Joe Burrow. And sometimes he wasn't asked to do it. And some others will say he was very good pass protecting. And I know Reed and B enemy talked about that. A lot of people had a lot of high expectations. But as we talked about last time, Therese, I'm concerned about NFL rookies this year. When you take away oh, yeah. mini camps and when you take away preseason football, that gets the jitters out, man. That gets them out playing an NFL game or, well, you know, playing guys that are wearing NFL uniform. That's so instrumental. But he is ninth in the NFL in rushing, eighth in all-purpose yards. I do believe in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, but they limited his carries last night to just 10. Yeah, yeah, and that was always going to happen with all the training camp reps they just missed on the field in OTAs. You know, I, I really know and believe that had this just been a regular year, Guys, do you understand how hard they would have drilled this cat in pass protection? Because one thing I noticed, like, watching his tape last year, like, you know, he just wasn't asked to do it a lot. I mean, look, LSU's offense under Joe Brady, who's now the offensive coordinator in Carolina, you know, they were very much about, hey, getting five guys out in the route and letting Joe Burrow handle the pressure by getting the ball out quickly or running away. And it was very effective for them. But the very the few times you did see Clyde Edwards Hilaire have to block, he was very willing to do it. He just hasn't done it. He just didn't do it a ton. And it was somewhere where he clearly needed work with his eyes and his protection and his technique and all that. So, you know, asking somebody to go from something like that to the pros where you have to protect Patrick Mahomes, who's the jewel of not just the franchise, but the league, you know, that was always gonna be something that um <laughs> That that was going to be an obstacle obstacle to him just being the complete soul like workhorse, right? That was always going to be an obstacle to that. Now he's gotten his fair share of of playing time, you know, two hundred and thirty snaps. Um, and Daryl Williams has had ninety three or something like that, ninety. But um, so he gets most of the PT. But it was always going to be like a slow build to like build on what he can do and what he can operate in and. I think by the end of the year, he'll certainly be better in every facet than he is right now just because he'll have more reps, all this stuff matters, and missing those OTA reps really did matter. And look, he's still been very productive 
all things, you know, not for nothing. He's still been very productive, but, you know, you'll see him get more carries and more touches overall the later we get into the season just because he's had more reps and more work with these guys. Let's talk about some of the injuries, specifically Kago. I really thought the Chiefs were kind of hurt in the trenches. Now, the Chiefs were 6 of 14 um, on, on getting th- on getting uh, first downs. Third down efficiency, 6 of 14, excuse me, one away from 50%. But they they had come in leading the NFL with 54% on third down, and the Raiders – we're 28th in the NFL, giving up 50% on third down rates. And I felt when KO went out, Colecio Simile, and yeah. we talked about this guy, Therese. He, this guy's got an attitude about him. He likes to push people to the ground. He's a hard hat guy. When you play him, you know you're in for work. But really, one of the nastiest linemen. So not only did he lose Colecio Simile, the guard, but they missed that attitude on the offensive line, in my opinion. And it showed against the Raiders. Yeah, it definitely did. And, you know, you're right. You know, you and I like the big uglies. You know, we share the we share the belief in 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 the importance of having at least one offensive lineman. That's a real grinder. That's a little nasty. That'll give you a little extra. And KO has been a lot of fun to watch this year because he plays with that edge. And it's important you have at least one lineman who has it. Um, you know, last year it was Stefan Wisniewski, you know, and they let him go in free agency. And Osimile has it, man. Like, so it was a big blow losing that guy. And now I do think Rimmers would be okay, you know, but but it, it was a blow losing him. And, I, you know, just like last year when it really comes down to it, having Mahomes is amazing and the passing game is great. But, you know, one of the secret stars of the Super Bowl was Damian Williams, man. And, like, they were able to run the football when they needed to. And a big reason was because that offensive line looked as good as it had with as, as far as run blocking with power and attitude in the Super Bowl. So they're going to need that when it comes down to it because I do feel, um, especially in the second half, you know, let's just be honest. Like, the Raiders were more physical, man. Like, they, they played with a little more of an edge. You look at their offensive line. They're like they won in the trenches, man. And that's not to say the Chiefs can't win in the trenches the next time they face the Raiders. Um, but but that is a wake up call that you know you have to make sure you rise to the occasion against every team every week. And I, I one great thing about Andy Reid though, um, Jay, is that you know he is a great fixer. Like very rarely do do, do you see this team have the same issue week after week. Things get fixed with Andy. So, you know, next week, I'd actually be surprised if they didn't come out with more attitude running the football and they didn't show, hey, listen, you know, against a, a team, you know, in Buffalo that you better bring it because Buffalo plays hard and is physical, okay? And we'll talk about that later. I bet you the Chiefs offensive line matches that physicality because they did it against the Ravens. Yeah, I want to talk about that here in a second, Trez, but the other guy too, Sammy Watkins, and again, this is not just a guy to replace. This is a tough issue. I mean, I look at KO and toughness, and I look at Sammy Watkins and toughness, and I thought when, when um, Bashad Breeland came back, he brought that toughness to defense. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I like him a lot to Sammy Watkins because of the 18 tackles in the postseason. The guy likes the hit. He doesn't mind sticking his hat in there. He did that yesterday. But Sammy Watkins, without the football, does things that you don't get all the time. I always called him Heinz Ward Light. He's willing to hit you. <laughs> no, he, he doesn't hit like like Heinz Ward did, but he you know he tries. He'll crack a linebacker. Last year yeah. in the regular season, the Patriots, because Belichick always takes out one guy. That guy was Sammy Watkins. He had Gilmore shadow him the entire game, and they he got in the ended up getting in a mix with uh with Watkins. Here's the defensive player of the year, and Watkins threw him down. But he seems to be that go-to security blanket 
for Pat Mahomes. Not only that, but that toughness factor. I think he missed more than just one thing when he's hurt. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a really good receiver, man. And as far as, like, number two receivers in the league go, I mean, he's right up there. Um, you know, his ability to beat Richard Sherman one-on-one in the Super Bowl, that was a huge play in the game, you know. Um, and it was an example of why you need to be a deep team to win a Super Bowl, right? So, yeah, like, losing him, st- you know, that stunk, man. And... Um, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see some of, some of the young guys continue to get more of a shot. Like they need to develop these guys. Cause I think the way this is setting up, you know, Watkins a hit free agency this year. Um, I'm sure he'll get a better offer elsewhere, even though this is a great fit for him. Um, and we'll just have to see how that pans out. But I think if you're Kansas City, you do need to be thinking about what all the money they've invested elsewhere. Like the number two receiver spot is one where they need to be drafting and developing it. And, um, you know, I think that's going to be a big year next year for McCole Hardman. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, they, if Demarcus Robinson comes back, you know, it would be important for him to continue to improve on his chemistry with Mahomes. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if they took another speedster early next year. Yeah, you know, was- I, I know you and I talk about the Alabama receivers. Oh, like yeah. Jalen Waddle is incredible, <laughs> man. And um, that guy totally fits what they do here. And I've been calling this for two years now. Um now, it's totally possible he'll be long gone because he's a special player. But um, even with him po- likely being off the board, like this is a great year for receivers. It is every year now. And I wouldn't be surprised if they drafted another weapon high next year. Therese, I got a uh, tight end for us in two years. Eric Gilbert, true freshman, LSU. Gatorade nice. National Player of the Year in high school. That's never been given to a tight end. Keep your eye on Eric Gilbert. I know hey, Kyle ready, Pitts man. is getting the run. Ready. <laughs> I, I I I know you're watching the tight ends too, man. Like that Pitts kid from Florida, yes, but, is killing people. So well, there's, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of skill position talent in in college football. And rest assured, guys, as long as Mahomes is here, the Chiefs will be mining that. In tight ends, some they're going to have to be looking at in the future. You know that number two, they mm-hmm. love to double tight end sets, and having that extra guy behind Travis Kelsey becomes imperative. All right, Therese, we'll flip the script here to the Buffalo Bills game. Weird deal, and we'll talk more about the uh, COVID shakeup in the next segment. But this was a wait-and-see game. Is it going to be Thursday, or was it going to be Sunday? Now it's Monday. Who was it going to be? Advantage Buffalo. If they ended up canceling that Titans game, they would have that extra bye week, and the Chiefs would be on a short week. Now, it's not set in stone that they're going to play, but it looks like they're going to. But Monday for the Kansas City Chiefs, so the Bills get that extra day. So the NFL's not asking them to play Tuesday and then Sunday. So we're we're in store for a pretty good game with the Chiefs and the Bills. Oh yeah, absolutely. This is this is going to be a showdown between two of the best coached, hard hat wearing teams in football. Like you never have to worry about effort with the Chiefs or the Bills, and you know they're well coached. Um, I like watching the Bills is a joy in a lot of ways because defensively they play really hard and they get after it. They got some great football players on that side of the ball. Trey White, the corner who's special. Um, Tremaine Edmonds, who they love. Um, you know, the safeties are good too. But, you know, offensively, what's been huge for them is Josh Allen. You know, um, you know, I've been a Josh Allen guy for the last couple years. Um, and the reason I was in on Josh Allen starting last year was because, like, when he started playing as a rookie, you know, you watch him do some things that you're like, man, like, that's really special. The size, the athleticism, the creativity, the unwillingness to let a play die. And I always kind of figured that if he could just put it together 
it, he'd have a season at least very similar like Steve McNair when he was at the peak of his powers. You know, it, it, it's very much like that with that guy. And it's come even sooner than I thought. You know, he's got a complete command of their offense. He's showing accuracy. He's, he's throwing accurately to every level of the field. He's got a number one receiver now in digs. And it's a great compliment to a run game that is solid. Like the Bills want to run the football. The Bills can run the football, but teams can't focus on the run because Josh Allen is picking them apart with his arm and he's running over people and it's looting pressure. So you have to try to account for that. But what the Bills do want to do is run the ball. So this is going to be a great matchup between good on good. And I really can't wait to see what goes because you know what? You know Buffalo sees this as a statement game. You know that. Oh, yeah. That's Trez Paler. This is Trez Paler Show. Coming up next, we mentioned the NFL schedule all, all whack. I want to know national perspective from Trez Paler on that is. And we'll look at the week. like to look at who the next best team is in the NFL. I'm curious as Trez thoughts quarter after the season. That's next. You're listening to the Trez Paler Show, Monday nights at 7, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back to the Therese Paler Show. I'm Jay Binkley, produced by Nick Price. Therese, national senior NFL writer for Yahoo Sports. Uh, Therese, I wanted to talk about the NFL shakeup with the schedule, which was interesting. Nine teams affected, but uh, this just came out. I'm sure you've seen it, but Tom and Tom Pelissero put this out from NFL Network. The NFL informed clubs in a memo tonight that beginning in week six, all players that under tier one and tier two individuals will undergo PCR testing for COVID on game days per source before everyone was tested the other six days a week. Now there's a game day testing as well. Therese, what could be the impacts of this? Um, I mean, this is a good thing, right? Because Mm -hmm. this is the NFL taking the extra step, going the extra mile to make sure anyone who's infected with this thing doesn't play. And you can make a good argument like, hey, why didn't you do this before? But I, I think it had been working so well prior to this, um, at least up until the last two weeks, that it was hard to criticize a whole lot. So um, they're definitely going to be second guessed for not doing this in the first place. But this is another positive step to ensure that this doesn't continue to spread because what the NFL just had to do in rescheduling all these games is untenable if this continues to happen. So like they got to nip this in the bud now. But they also want to play all these games and make sure no one gets sick seriously. And if the NFL can get to February and play the Super Bowl without those two things happening, with all those games getting played and no one getting seriously sick, that is a huge win. So trust me, everything they're doing here is is done with that goal in mind, period. Therese, it's weird. This has been a bad week. Of course, Missouri game with Vanderbilt canceled Saturday because of COVID. Baylor had 32 positive tests, and they're, oh. of course, suspended. And 29 are symptomatic. I mean, it's that's a, that's, that's a lot of people on a football team, so we've seen this affect college football and now the NFL. I'm, I'm kind of curious. Back in 1993, the NFL went to two bye weeks. Before mm-hmm. 1990, they started, it was one bye week, and then they went back to one bye week. Of course, that uh, two weeks, it was a one-week separation from the Super Bowl, and they didn't like that. But this year of all years might have been the week to have or the year to have two bye weeks. Yeah, and you know what, Bink, I always enjoy I love the two bye weeks because I think I think it was a more humane way to handle the season, just because like these guys get so beat up. But um it was certainly more necessary back then when um you know practices were particularly brutal. They don't hit nearly as much now as they used to then. You know, when I talk to former Chiefs players, 
they they laugh thinking about how brutal it used to be. Like they used to hit all the time in training camp. They used to hit on that hard artificial turf, you know, um, which is basically cement, like a parking lot. Um, it was needed then. Now you can even make the argument that because they don't hit nearly as much either in the preseason or even during the season, like there's limits on how much teams can really u- even use padded practices that is not necessary. But I do know this. Um, you know, players certainly would prefer it, but they also collectively bargained to reduce the bye weeks from two to one because they want that extra week uh, as an off week too. <laughs> so yeah. they, they, that was one more week they'd get back, you know. Mm. So um, it, in the off season, so uh, it's, there's a lot here. But I think you're right. Like on on, on its core, it's certainly you could have made an argument for the two bye week because that would have given you more flexibility. Um, in a year where we knew some games were going to get postponed. But I think their argument would be, yes, but like we're going to figure it out anyway. So now it's on them to do it. We're going to remind everybody our Smitty's Garage Burgers and Beer text line, 913-576-7610. The last segment, Trez and I will go around the NFL and answer your questions as well. By the way, Trez, the Chargers just scored Justin Herbert, the Keenan Allen, over uh, our NFC pick, the New Orleans Saints. They lead 6 to nothing early in this game. Yo, Justin Herbert looks good, man. Um, it, it looks like they've hit on that pick. He's a big, strong, physical guy. Um, he tries to make difficult throws because he has tremendous arm strength. He often completes them. And he's an athletic guy. He can create a little bit. I would say he's, he's very Josh Allen-y to me. It's very Josh Allen-like, which I think is a good thing. And he's got the ability to pull some plays out of his tail he's not supposed to. And I think that if you're going to compete in this division with Kansas City for the next decade or two, you better make sure you have a quarterback that can do that. So now they've got the quarterback. They just need to continue to develop him. They also need to make sure that they continue to build around him so that they at least have a shot. Um, but but Toplin Mahomes is the single in, in this division is a single most daunting task in football. Extra point, no good. And we've seen a lot of that this year, Therese. <laughs> we've seen a lot of that this year. <laughs> We're like Pittsburgh in college that hit a 58-yarder to go to overtime. Then he misses an extra point. <laughs> so that was that was ugly. All right, Therese, that we, we've talked about the Tier 1, Tier 2, and we've talked a little about the Chargers here in the future. But, you know, who who's the second-best team in the AFC still? I'm still going with the Ravens. Only This team just doesn't lose. They've won 16 of the last 17 regular season games. Their only blemish is the Chiefs. That seems like the only team to beat them. The Steelers looking great to this point. We're going to find out a lot about Buffalo and Tennessee when they play tomorrow. When you look at the AFC in a, in a, in a grand scale, who do you think are the top teams? No, I think we're in lockstep here. I still think it's the Ravens. I think the Ravens are... I think it's the Chiefs, but then like the Ravens are number two, yeah. and I still really believe in that. Um, I do think there's a difference between the Chiefs and Ravens just because the Chiefs kind of own them right now. But you know, I, I look, I definitely feel like if the Ravens face any other team in the AFC, they're giving them big time problems, like big time. Um, strong physical defense. A lot of teams can't handle the way they blitz. They create a ton of turnovers. They've got like a turnover in like 18 straight games. Their defense is created something crazy like that, and then their offense. The way they play, it's just hard to stop. Like teams haven't really practiced practicing this offseason. I'm sorry, they haven't practiced tackling this offseason. And now you got to try to tackle Lamar. Like, good luck, man. And 
against every team other than Kansas City this year, Lamar's shown the ability to throw outside the pocket and, and create and do those things and hurt you with his arm and his legs. So I think it's pretty clearly Baltimore. But I do think, you know, the Bills are an impressive team, man, and I think they're in the mix. And I also love the Steelers. Like, I think the Steelers are a good football team, man. I think they're really good. You know, this is not a team you want to get down against because their pass rush is outstanding. They got a great base edge. They got a great base pass rush with four, and they can get home with four, and that could make them a problem for the Chiefs if they face them. But they also have a tremendous blitz package. They can bring it from everywhere. They got the best blitz in corner, nickel corner in football, and Mike Hilton. It's just a good defense. And offensively, if Chase Claypool is the real deal and he emerges as a legitimate number one, now you're talking about an offense with a veteran offensive line, a Super Bowl winning quarterback, and three pieces at receiver that all complement each other. In Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, and Chase Claypool. And now you're talking about a complete offense. And now you've got a complete team. So I'm keeping a hard eye on Pittsburgh because I do think they've got a chance to break into that tier with the Chiefs and the Ravens. Yeah, people were sleeping on Chase Claypool, man. I was mocking this guy with the Chiefs. 6'4", 238. We want you to run as a tight end at the combine, Chase. Oh, no, I'm a wide receiver. And he puts up Megatron, the only two dudes that big to have those 40 numbers. People were sleeping on Chase in the, in the combine. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He he looks awesome, too, man. Like he The, the best thing about Chase Claypool is that he doesn't look 240. You know, like he's just a big, really athletic um, uh, target with ball skills, man. And he's a weapon. He is a legitimate weapon for this football team. And he really, really compliments Juju Smith-Schuster and Deontay Johnson. And, you know, Ben Roethlisberger is building that chemistry with him. So, I'm look, man, I, I've been on Pittsburgh since the preseason. I talked to Ben Roethlisberger in August. Like, I could just sense that he believed they were on to something special. And I, I do think that they are. Like, I, I think that the Steelers are a really good football team and someone to keep an eye on as a possible sleeper contender. Therese, before we take a break, you did mention Justin Herbert there. And I'm curious. When you look at the Raiders and their draft, we love their draft. I, I'm not in love with the quarterback position. Yes, Carr had a great game, but I want to yep. see I want to see it under 40 degrees. I still want to see more of it. That, that's fine. Yep. But Justin Herbert, to me, and Drew Locke, you know, you got to compare them together. But I'm curious, who do you two part question? Who do you think is best suited to be the Chiefs' biggest competition in the AFC West going forward, and who's the second best quarterback in this division? Hmm, great question. I really like what Oakland is building. I'm sorry, Vegas. It's going to be so hard because I'm an NFL I do it all the time. guy, and I just I relate the Raiders with Oakland. But I, I really like what Vegas is building. I just don't love the quarterback. Consequently, I, I really, really like the quarterback that the Chargers have, but I don't love what's around them yet. Um, I think that the Chargers need to continue to build their offensive line. Um, that's a question mark for me. I, I just don't think it's good enough. But, you know, I'm going to go with the Chargers because they've already got the important part of it, which is the quarterback. I think Justin Herbert, we can see that he's good. We can see it now. And they've got two edge rushers, which is critical. One of them is still young in Joey Bosa. And the secondary has a chance to be really good. Like, one guy people aren't talking a lot about is Nasir Adderley. He's still got to develop his eyes, but mm -hmm. once he develops them, he's a big-time hitter. And he, he's going to really compliment Derwin James Jr. Of course, Derwin James Jr. has to come back. And then Kenny Murray, the linebacker, 
<laughs> my point is, I really, really like some of the young talent stud. on the Chargers, man. And they've got defensively those guys I mentioned, plus Herbert. You know, I I think the Chargers are actually really well positioned to compete with the Chiefs going forward because they've got the one thing that the Raiders don't have, which is the promising young quarterback who will only get better. Interesting. This is the Therese Paler Show. We come back. We go around the NFL, plus take your questions at 913-576-7610, our text number. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Therese Paler Show, Monday nights at 7, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back to the Therese Paler Show. I'm Jay Binkley with Therese Paler. And you know what, Therese? Chiefs gave up 40 points, but if you watch college football, everybody was giving up points. 33 points a game for these SEC defenses. I know I don't have – I won't ask you this now because I have a college football show, but Nick Saban was talking about these offenses are just insane right now, and the NFL team's picking up on these college offenses, so we're going to see a ton of points. But uh, I'll chew on that later this week. Don't forget Dusty Likens and the Red Reaction Show, your reaction to Chief stuff, anything Chiefs that you saw, things you've been holding in, 8-9 to nine right here on 610 Sports Radio. All right, Therese, let's go around the NFL. I think really one of the biggest stories in the NFL, if not the biggest, and I know he didn't play that great, but the fact that he merely played football again is amazing and incredible. He was humble in Kansas City, having Mahomes over to dinner, knowing this quarterback's going to take his job. Brutal injury in Washington. Comes back and steps under center. Of course, I'm talking about Alex Smith. Right now, one of those positive stories we've seen in a long time. Heck yeah, man. Give this guy the comeback player of the year award right now. Just, Just hand it to him. Um, I think lesser men would have just taken the money, like just taking your $195 million in career earnings and moved on with your life. Lord knows Alex is a smart guy, going to do anything he wanted, but he wanted to make a statement um, and, and serve as an inspiration, not just to others, but to his kids, you know, if his three kids. And he wanted to prove that you can come all the way back despite dealing with adversity. And even though what happened on Sunday was ugly, um, it was still amazing and beautiful in the sense that you saw the manifestation of a dream that wouldn't die, which is amazing. So um, it's the story, the positive story of the year. And on a Sunday where we saw Dak Prescott get hurt and we dealing with all these COVID outbreaks, it, it was needed, you know, some positivity in pro football. And a great story, Yahoo Sports. Look up at Trez Paler. The link is right there for a great story on Alex Smith. I'll admit, Therese, I got a little nervous. Aaron Donald went nuts like he always does. Four sacks in the game, three on Alex Smith. The time where he got on his back, Man, I was holding my breath that Alex is going to get up. I know. That was brutal, man. And, like, I know we were all looking at it like, oh, no. Um, but it was great when he got up. Now, I, I just wish he hadn't been sick. You know, I, w- I wish, you know, he didn't get sacked six times. That, that's a little much for me. Um, and I wish, like, Kyle Allen would be in there to take that beat nothing than Alex. But, um, you know, still a great story. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad he got up, you know, and I'm glad he kept getting up. It, it actually kind of adds to his legendary toughness. Well, Washington football team has several quarterback stories. I know early on people were, you know, well, why, why isn't Dwayne Haskins at the game? Well, they, Redskins or Washington sent him home because he had the stomach flu. So it's not that he didn't want to be there. It's just that they sent him down. Are, are, is Washington doing him a disservice, backing away from him when he had his career high in passing, backing away from him when he is known for being the inspirational speech in game one against Philadelphia, that comeback? Way too early on Dwayne Haskins. Are they doing the right thing? Yeah, I definitely don't think that they've given him everything he needs to flourish. Like, I don't think people understand that when 
you're when you're built when you draft a young quarterback if you want that young quarterback to succeed you need some things in place number one an offensive staff capable of developing him that believes in him and then number two an offensive staff that's willing to build its offense around the things he does well um and i honestly don't feel like he had either one of those things so um the organization matters when you draft a quarterback that's why you see teams you know bad teams draft young quarterbacks and they don't work out it's like because the whole organization stinks you know and, and you need a good organization to develop a young quarterback right like you need that it's like planting um fruit or it's like planting anything like you like the soil has to be right for it to work and and, and you have to cultivate it to make it work and I, I don't feel like it was there for washington so my hope is that he goes somewhere where the staff believes in him they develop him um and here's the thing man like if you watch that game i'm telling you like Haskins had some ugly moments over the first month of the season, but he also had some awesome throws. He would have given them a better chance to win that football game. And the one thing about it, too, is the quarterback position is so much about confidence. And, you know, when you hear stories about Ron Rivera was getting treatment during that uh, Eagles game in week one, and he was the one that gave the speech, that's the stuff that kind of inspires the locker room. And then when you're put the third string, that totally takes it away. It's such a fragile position, how you handle it and how you – have to learn that trust of the locker room like Mahomes did right away. That's so important for a quarterback. And I felt like he was getting that, and this is unfortunate for him. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Now, what, here's what's important for Haskins, too, now, right? Because he missed that game with the stomach virus. You know, people are going to speculate about what that meant. I think it's very important for Haskins to show that he's mentally tough and that he's handling this the right way. That means you handle like a man, right? You do what Alex Smith would do. You take it, you stay there for your team, you work through it, you get better. And that's how you earn respect in this league. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, he's going to have an opportunity to get another shot. But um, he'll, he'll, he can do himself some real favors by handling this the right way. As positive as Alex Smith news was, it was unfortunate for Dak Prescott and that gruesome injury. Uh, today, Stephen Jones, the executive vice president for the Cowboys, said he's our guy. He's our guy going going forward. Um, he's our future. He's special. Those are words from Stephen Jones. Dak bet on himself this year. He got hurt. What do you think about the Dak situation? Does Dallas re-offer him what, what Dak originally turned down? Does he take it this time? There's so many what-ifs. Does Dallas really want Dak? They said they do. Are they going to put up money for him? I think they're going to end up either offer him what they the, – the last offer might still stand. Okay. Or more realistically, because they couldn't agree on that, they just franchise him again. Like I think that that that's where that ends up. He'll get a big payday next year too, um, and then he'll enter enter another prove it year. And um, you know, it just stinks. Like it's the worst part of football, right? Like um, you hate to see players who bet on themselves um, get taken out by injury, but that is a part of the game. It's why some players are hesitant to bet on themselves, and it's a reminder of why some players are. It's like, hey, you know. Sometimes you can bet on yourself and it works out, but sometimes you do that and it doesn't. But he'll get another shot. He'll bet on himself next year. He'll get a massive payday either way, whether it's the one-year tag, which would be like $38 million. I mean, that's <laughs> pretty good. Pretty doggone good. He's making <laughs> or, 31 this year. So. Uh, the Falcons making a coaching change, the second NFL team to do it. Yeah, you know, um, it was just time. They never came back from 28-3 to in the Super Bowl. They never – were able to bounce back as an organization. I thought they really, really missed Kyle Shanahan. 
Like they really missed him, right? Just they put up a lot of yards offensively, but it was just different. The running game was never the same. Um, the the offense was never the same, and that affected the defense. Um, the defense, you know, you better have talent to pull off the cover three stuff. Um, I think their pass rush has been weak for the last several years. It just hasn't been good enough. Um, it's not a bad job because Arthur Blank will spend money and he'll give you time, obviously. But, um, you know, I, I, I actually don't like it as much as some of the other ones out there. Well, we were gonna, I was going to ask this question of Therese, but it also comes through our text line, 913-576-7610. With Houston being open, Atlanta being open, there's going to be other open jobs. Where's the best fit for Eric Bieniemy? I definitely think Houston's a better job for me. Um, if, if I was EB, I'd be looking to go to Houston as long as I like who the GM ends up being because I'm told it won't be Easter B. It'll be like a real GM. So they'll bring in a GM, and as long as EB can work with that guy, he likes him, um, I, I really like that fit for him. Why? Because he's already got a championship quarterback in Watson who's young and under contract and a franchise left tackle in Tunsil, and those are the hardest things to find. So, like, you're halfway there. That team is actually set up to be pretty good next year with just some retooling. They'll get a high draft pick. Like, they'll, you know, that that team, and then like a, like a third place schedule, like they're gonna win nine, 10 games next year, you know? So that's a good spot for them, but I give you a sleeper team to keep an eye on. And it's not cause I'm from here, but Detroit. Mm. Detroit is actually a good job. They have issues cause they, they don't know how to win there, but they give the coach time and they actually do let whoever's in charge mold, mold the team to what they want. Um, you have Stafford there. There is talent on the roster, even though they're slow as heck on defense. That's a good job. They will give you time. So I, I think if I'm Eric Bieniemy, I'd rather go to Detroit or Houston. It's unbelievable. What we've watched this guy, you know, from Chiefs training camp when he got here. He's vocal. He's a leader. I'm surprised he's not a big-time Division One college because he's a teacher. You know, he's a teacher. That, he, he, that's the kind of guy he is. He's outspoken. But clearly the NFL is his game. But wherever he goes, Eric Bieniemy, that's going to be a team to watch out for. I agree, and I think I'm with you on the college deal. I just think that he doesn't want to recruit. No. I, th- I think the college But that's like who his requires- acumen is, though. You know when you watch him and his interactions with guys? I, kn- I know, but I, I, it's it's unless you go to certain programs, it's really hard to lure in the talent you need to like win in a major way. And it's a real it's, – it's, it's really kind of unfair how the whole college thing works out. So I just – as great as a coach as he is and how good he is with guys – Let's not forget, like, he spent a couple years as an offensive coordinator in college, and it didn't work out at Colorado. So he knows how tough it is, how competent you can be and still not have it work out. So I think he sees college, I think he sees pros as a more fair situation and a, the best possible fit for him. Don't forget, you can go back and listen to this whole episode of the Trez Paler Show, 610sports.com on demand. I'll tweet it out later. Therese, I had a ton of fun. We're on Tuesday night next week, so we got this bad boy down. We're locked and loaded for the rest of the year. We're ready to roll. Yes, sir, my man. Thanks for uh, for joining me again. It's always a good time with you, and I'm I'm ready to roll the rest of the year, brother. Thanks, Therese. Enjoyed that. This is Therese Paler Show. Great job producing by Nick Price. Don't forget, coming up next, Dusty Likens, Chiefs fans. It's called Red Reaction. That's next.